Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 106. In this episode, we're introducing our series on Christian anti-Judaism. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Dr. Grace Emmett, Reverend Daniel Parham, Dr. Chris Porter, Dr. Logan Williams, and myself, Dr. John Anthony Dunn. So we're really excited about this series that we've been planning for quite some time. We've been posting about it on Twitter and announcing some of the guests that we are looking forward to having for this series. It's a wonderful conversation. We thought in this opening episode, we would kind of define some terms and kind of explain why it's important to us to do a, a series like this and why we think it would be beneficial to our listeners. So as a way to kind of jump in, how about we talk about the difference between anti-Judaism on the one hand and anti-Semitism. What's the difference between these two terms? It's an important distinction. We need to be careful not to die on the hill of defining words, obviously, but I do think that for the purposes of this series, it will be helpful to distinguish between anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism. Anti-Judaism is kind of a broader term referring to any kind of uh, stance that is that essentializes Judaism, uh, that says Jews are X and Y, or Judaism you know, believes or is X and Y, and all Jews believe X and Y, and then wholeheartedly opposing that. Uh, and that would be how I think we could give a kind of initial proposal for anti-Judaism. Anti-Semitism has more racial and ethnic connotations, that you are against uh, a specific group that's conceived of in terms of as an ethnos, eth- ethnic people group. So um, obviously there's overlap between those two. uh, And as you'll see throughout the series that we kind of flip back and forth between those two things, uh, but we'll talk about the distinction uh, in some episodes, but I think that's kind of a a helpful initial way of of thinking about it. So this is why the reason why we titled this series anti-Judaism is because we're looking at the broader phenomenon throughout history um, and in modern Christianity, uh, which of course includes and overlaps with forms of anti-Semitism today. Uh, and in the past. So, and I think one of the ways that this plays out is often we see uh, discussions in in our news media, discussions in, in the public square about a- uh, anti-Semitism. With the discussions around the recent uh, hostage situation in Coleyville in Texas, there are lots of sort of conversations about anti-Semitism, people being against Jews as a race uh, and a- as a as a as a concept. Uh, but because that is often construed in in such a in such stark terms, it actually enables people to ha- hold these things at arm's length. Uh, they're not uh, engaging with it as if it's something that we actually uh, inherit in our faith as Christians. Um, especially in those cases where we find anti-Semitism coming uh, from other cultural backgrounds and other religious backgrounds we do have to reckon with the fact that Christianity at its heart at, you know, genealogically is based on uh, intra-Jewish discussion uh, that it originates um, in in my case, uh, the discussions around the fourth gospel and and what is the the place of the Udayoi, the Jews in the fourth gospel is a discussion about how does, is Judaism worked out um, and, the the early Christians, the early Christ followers, had one answer to that, and one one way of of seeing how Judaism um, and how the the eth- ethical norms of 
of the people of God and how the the cultural norms of of worship and the the cultic practices of worship at the temple uh, were were worked out. And so that that's one of those areas that we as Christians really need to wrestle with well. That brings up a good point, Chris. Uh, in some of the episodes, we're going to be using the term eudaioi, uh, and that's just the Greek term for uh, Jews or Judeans. Its meaning is debated. We'll also deal with that in some of the episodes. Um, so if you hear us just say eudaioi, 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 um, just know ahead of time that this means um, Jews or Judeans, depending on the translation perspective you take. So how about we transition into discussing why it's important to do a series like this, why we want to do a series like this, and why we want our listeners to engage us on these matters. I think we believe that this is of vital importance because it's similar to what you'll hear throughout the series, uh, is that the the nature of Jewish culture, uh, as well as the interconnectedness between uh, our faith, is intertwined in such a way that for us to not have this discussion is for us to not fully understand the robust history uh, of Christianity, uh, and particularly its implications on the world. Um, Coming from the West and and looking at the US, uh, the American Jewish Committee posted a a survey, uh, survey results from 2021 saying that one in four uh, Jewish people in America believed um, that they had been a victim of violent crimes. Uh, it's interesting to look at that, you know, to, to see this rise of hatred uh, in a nation that typically prides itself under themes of, of Christianity. And so to, to see those sections uh, you know, di- diametrically opposed to one another uh, allows us to investigate a little bit more, uh, I think, the historical background of, of the division and the hatred that we've seen um, throughout centuries uh, and and I think the series is going to help us to get more context uh, in that space. I think for me, as we were putting this series together, I, well, definitely sort of echoing all of the things that Daniel said in terms of feeling that broad need for us as Christians to be thinking about how we ethically read the New Testament and being sensitive to resisting anti-Jewishness in that. And I, it sort of dawned on me that I don't think I had ever heard in a church context that being named, I suppose, and any conversation about um the sort of Christian history of anti-Jewishness um, and that that might be something we'd need to be conscious of still in a contemporary context. It just couldn't really recall a time that we'd ever had that conversation in church. And um, I think at that point was really keen that we, that this had a lot of depth as a series and we'll do, we'll do a lot of kind of stuff at the upper end where we're talking about an academic book and getting something quite niche and historical but um into sort of more of the the detail um of text and its history and its scholarship um but also wanted to emphasize that slightly broader pastoral point I suppose which will also be important for many of our listeners um I'm just thinking about really simple ways that this can play out in church context I was having a conversation at church the other day and um was talking with a group and we were thinking about a passage in the gospels um where jesus is in dialogue with the pharisees and uh, someone said something like oh it just it feels like the pharisees are sort of goading jesus a bit and someone else kind of challenged this and was like i like i'm not really sure that's kind of where's that coming from that sense of tone of voice that the text isn't really giving us and i just thought that was such a good example of the small ways that um we can have this lens, I suppose, particularly when we come to particular characters or aspects of the New Testament. And we don't even realise that we've kind of adopted these glasses. Um, that's the sort of history within which we're reading these texts. And um, 
I'm not sure that conversation is is happening enough at that sort of church level to interrogate that and, and name that. So um, just as a sort of very kind of simple and broad point, I think that's why I feel passionate about the fact that we're doing this series. And I think for, for all of us, it's, it's, you know, we're part of this conversation too and want to kind of interrogate ourselves um, and the ways that we need to be better at this. So um, yeah, just glad that we've had a chance to put this together, that we've got some really good speakers coming on um, and hope it's going to be useful for all of us as we kind of think ethically about this. The reason why I think this is an ethical issue that all Christians need to think through is because the water that so many Christians swim in is just by default anti-Semitic and by default anti-Jewish. Um, so much of Christian history um, is anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, going all the way back to um, you know so many of the church fathers who write all of these ridiculous treatises, um, caricaturing and being extremely horrific, um, not only to Judaism as a religion in its variation, but also to their uh, Jewish neighbors. And we're, we're all downstream of that tradition, of the um, radically and horrifically anti-Jewish tradition of centuries and centuries, millennia of, of church history. And of course, the fruit that it has, that, that anti-Jewish tradition has borne um, is the you know, horrific um, acts uh, anti-Semitic acts, um, including but not limited to the Shoah and, uh, you know, even uh, recent uh, events, um, which are predicated upon anti-Jewish sentiments, which the West receives from its Christian tradition. So um, because we swim in this water, um, we need to deal with it so that we don't recapitulate and, and, and pass down um, the ideas that have real consequences um, for Jews in the past, Jews today, and 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 Jews in the future. Uh, just an, an example of of how this is the water we swim in. So often in churches, people will identify what is bad by aligning it with Judaism. Uh, I remember one time I lived in Utah, and uh, I was a Christian in Utah, and I wasn't a Mormon. Uh, and so, of course, there's a lot of you know dialogue about um, Protestants and and Mormons and whatever. When if you're a Christian in, in Utah, obviously. Uh, it's kind of impossible to get away from, from Mormonism there. So clearly there will be discussions about this. And I remember Christians, uh, I, I remember I had a conversation once where a bunch of Christians were saying that basically the reason why Mormonism is wrong is because it's just like Judaism, uh, which is, of course, ridiculous. You know, not only is that a gross oversimplification, but the, the, the bigger issue is that it just uses Judaism as the obvious negative term, right? If anything resembles Judaism, it's therefore wrong. It therefore should be avoided. Uh, it therefore should be deconstructed. And, and by essentializing Judaism and just essentializing it as this negative object, a pre-known negative object, that's a, that's a form of anti-Judaism. And um, Christians need to stop doing this stuff. Uh, like there's an ethical imperative for Christians to stop doing this stuff. And so th this series, we want to think through the ways that anti-Judaism pervades um, a lot of Christian thinking, a lot of Christian history, a lot of Christian discourse, uh, and really uncover and look at how these tropes work. Um, so we'll be looking at a lot of topics, uh, a lot of different uh, corpuses. But yeah, we hope it's helpful for really starting to deconstruct this kind of knee-jerk trope uh, in Christian thinking that all Judaism is bad, Judaism is an incomplete religion, it's a uh, totally inferior religion, it's an evil religion. That, that kind of essentialist thinking um, is dangerous uh, and harmful and, and needs to go if uh, Christians want to love their neighbor. Hmm. 
So uh, another key term that we're going to be using a lot in this series that would be helpful to define here is supersessionism. Um, can we talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, and I think so, sometimes this ties in with this idea that um, not all of Judaism was intrinsically bad. The part of the reaction to this sort of rabid anti-Judaism is to re- seek to redeem many of the things uh, that have come come through Judaism. So I'll often hear preaching or um, hear people talking about, um, well, I really appreciate the Sabbath or I really appreciate the way that um, the the Jewish uh, festivals really want to celebrate certain things about, about our creation, uh, certain things about God. And, but what they really need is Jesus. And so it becomes this sort of context of Judaism is, is okay, or even Judaism is good, but it's superseded by, by Jesus, the cross, and therefore uh, Christianity as well. And there, there's a sense in which uh, the culmination of Judaism becomes Christianity, and so therefore uh, becomes a, a replacement um, religion. You can take all the things that you think you like out of Judaism. You may not actually like them in the in when it comes down to it, uh, but it, it's okay because all of these things are reframed and superseded uh, in Christ. And, and to be fair, this is actually something that um, is going on within uh, Jewish contexts uh, at, at different points in time. Um, all cultures in and all social groups, in many ways, are supersessionistic of their of their previous cultural group at different different points that's just called history and evolution of a of a of social groups our post covid society is supersessionistic of our pre covid society but there's a difference i find with that conversation happening within a group so for example uh, what it looks like for a, a football team to move on without its star player um you know, if you're in the UK, think of a football. Think of what would life would be like after Cristiano Ronaldo. If you're in the US, Tom Brady is currently retiring or planning on retiring or whatever. Whenever he finally gets around to it, um, the teams that go on without these players will be to some degree super sessionistic in that they supersede the previous team. But that's an in in, in group conversation. That's a group a conversation that happens within the group uh, rather than a conversation that happens. Uh, from the outside, looking looking back, um, and that's it's a it's a different conversation entirely. And I think supersessionism is one of those areas that it's actually quite difficult for us on this side of the cross uh, because of the way uh, that we uh, that Christianity finds itself uh, as a really an offshoot of Judaism uh, in in its origins. Yeah, so it's interesting that description of supersessionism is focused quite a lot on how some Christians will kind of pick and choose elements of Judaism and and appropriate them kind of like as a cultural appropriation into their own version of Christianity, which we could call a kind of philo-Judaism. And in this series, we're talking about anti-Judaism, and it'd be helpful to also speak to the other side of this as as a problem in its own right, this concept of philo-Judaism. Let's speak to that. Obviously, the term philo-Judaism can have multi-faceted meanings. It's just the word love of Judaism. I think what I get uncomfortable about is that a lot of Christian philo-Judaism is predicated upon this kind of reverse colonial idealized conception of Judaism. Now, let me explain uh, what I mean by that. 
Um, of course, in the, in the colonialist framework, there are Oriental and Western societies. Oriental societies, i.e. Eastern societies, represent uh, things that are static, that are primitive, that are uh, not developing, that are the kind of antithesis of the Western uh, imagination, whereas the West is uh, conceived of in terms of progress and um, civilization and, and whatever. Uh, now, of course, in, in a colonialist framework, the West is, is better and the Orient is bad. It's primitive, it, it is it's not developing, it needs to be enlightened and come into the kind of light of the West. But a reverse colonialism would be uh, when you fetishize and idealize the Orient according to this framework. So you accept the terms of what the quote unquote Orient or the East is, that it's primitive, it's original, it's it has a different kind of way of thinking about the world, um, whatever, but you think that's good and that the West is bad. So this happens in, um, for example, you, you, you get this a lot in uh, missions literature where people will say stuff like, um, oh yeah, like, you know, in, in non-Western cultures, people more naturally accept the gospel because they're kind of closer to the original culture of the earliest Christians, which is an attempt to kind of complement the non-Western church, but, you know, only by using this Orientalist framework. So a lot of Philo-Judaism, Christian Philo-Judaism, I think is predicated upon this kind of reverse colonialism, which, which nevertheless assumes this problematic colonialist framework of, of world history and geography. There's the East and the West, and the East develops into the West or, or is corrupted by the West, depending on your, your interpretation. Um, so a lot of Christian Philo-Judaism thinks that Judaism is this kind of static ideal, which uh, according to which there's this Semitic mind or this Eastern primitive mind um, that naturally understands the world better than we Westerners do. And we need to get back to this kind of idealized earlier uh, configuration of the world. So when I, when I talk to a lot of people who I, I would maybe, I would put under the label of philo-Semitic, um, they, they speak of Judaism in these kind of monolithic terms that there is the Jewish view on the New Testament. There is the Jewish view of X and Y. There is, um, you know, Judaism believes X. And I always get confused by these things because me being a historian trained in the very varieties of ancient Judaism, I know that these statements and, and these ideals are, are, of course, just, you know, fabricated ideals. They don't actually line up with a lot of the, the diversity of ancient Judaism that we see. So I think the, the kind of discomfort I have a lot of Philo Judaism is that it's not actually about loving people, which is what it should be. Um, if you if you want to be Philo anything, it should be about loving people, <laughs> presumably. Um, but instead, it it kind of loves this hypothetical ideal that's based off of this colonial framework, which is in the end actually a, not a very loving thing to recapitulate. Uh, and then also in the end, what what it ends up doing is that it ends up uh, you know distorting your view of um, you know actually the actual lived version of Judaism that we see in the world and in antiquity. So uh, I get really uncomfortable with this kind of thing. Um, I know that there are varieties of it, but the kind of varieties that I've seen um, make me uncomfortable for those reasons. Uh, and so uh, of course, you know you can throw the label of you can call me Philo Jewish if you want because I study ancient Judaism and I really enjoy it. Uh, so I'm not saying that you know, Philo Judaism is necessarily a horrible thing, depending on how you use the word. Um, but a lot of Christian Philo Judaism makes me like really uncomfortable. And I think also is kind of covertly, nonetheless, anti-Jewish.
Yeah, that's some really good clarification on Philo Judaism. And as you were talking about the varieties of Judaism in the ancient world and nuances and these sorts of things, it, it really uh, dovetails um, nicely with what we talked about last week when we were trying to find more nuances. We were talking about conversion, for example, looking at all kinds of intersectional identities that um, need to be uh, factored in. And so we're having this conversation about anti-Judaism, not only the types of Judaism that you're mentioning, but also the types of people that are Jewish. Yeah, and on that theme, um, intersectionality is something we pick up on a bit throughout this series. Um, and I suppose as a sort of broader point, it's something we sort of want to be attentive to in terms of reading New Testament texts as well. Um, there's been sort of various work in terms of, I suppose, just naming the complexity in, in that sometimes in seeking a liberative reading of a passage, you can inadvertently end up also propagating an oppressive one for different reasons. Um, and there's this great article, I think we're going to try and put together a little reading list for um, this episode, so we'll, we'll put the details there. But there's this great article in the Journal of Feminist Studies in Religion, which is co-written by uh, Julia Watts-Belser and Melanie Morrison. Um, Belser is a rabbi and disability activist, and Morrison is a Christian minister. And they... Um, have they've done sort of various interfaith work together and reflect on a sermon that Morrison wrote about uh, Luke 13, 10 to 17, um, with the story of the woman who's uh, bent over, is healed, who stands up and praises uh, Jesus. Yeah, reflect on this earlier sermon uh, where Morrison sort of uses that story as a broader analogy rather than uh, thinking kind of about literal healing in an attempt to sort of resist ableist readings, um, which might sort of devalue the agency of a disabled person um, and wanting to avoid the suggestion that disabled people need to be healed. So she's trying to sort of um, seek a liberative reading. And in doing so, sort of um, by using it as a metaphor is, is setting it up as um, the healing being from from oppressive structures. And that can be quite a common thing that happens in metaphorizing um, disability disability passages or passages about disability. So the conversation that her and uh, Belsa have is thinking about the sort of double bind that happens for um, feminist preachers sort of trying to uh, resist ableism, but also resist anti-Judaism, where uh, the, the flip side of that is, is the reality that the Jewish leaders can be set up in contrast to Jesus, that that's the oppressive structures that um, these individuals need freeing from. Um, and I think that this article is brilliant, I mean, partly for the reflection on that passage, but also just this, this broader dialogue that happens. And I think there's a real lesson in that. Um, particularly for us as Christians and thinking about how do we sort of learn and do better in this. Um, and also an amazing, I think, introspective work from Morrison sort of going back and quite painfully reflecting on things she's written in the past and doing that in a sort of public forum. Um, but they conclude with these sort of five tips, I suppose, for thinking about how to wrestle with some of these complexities, sort of varies from things like emphasising the Jewish context of the New Testament, something we talk about a lot in this series. And also just naming naming the difficulty of this, that, that it is complex and we can want to reduce things down and to make it simple. But um, something we talk about a lot in the episode about intersectionality is that this is complex. You know, we're dealing with lots of different um, societal identities and it's it's not clear cut. And, um, you know, we might we might wish things were simpler in our text, but often they're not. And it's really helpful to actually just name that rather than trying to sort of um, simplify things. Um, so I think it's been interesting seeing the connections between that episode, some of the themes that we talk about in this series, and uh, I suppose as a broader point, reading strategies that we want to be aware of in terms of approaching different texts in the New Testament as Christians. It's kind of extending from what Grace was sharing. 
I, I think there's a, there's this element of cultural appropriation that we also need to to touch on non-Jewish people celebrating Jewish holidays, possibly not even having a full context of the significance and the historical background and the tie to um, tie to the rich cultural uh, uh, imagery and space that uh, that that they're far away from. Uh, the same thing happens, I think, in terms of uh, an understanding of the significance uh, of, of a culture and a people, and to, to um, appropriate some of that space is to, to say that it is more polarizing than it is uh, celebrating of, of, the, of the nature of it. And sometimes the nature of a cultural appropriation is not an understanding or an embracing of it for the sake of its true, truthfulness, uh, but uh, a manipulation of it, and, and, and I think we see that in 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 the context uh, in our, our episode that we'll, we'll touch on in terms of anti-Judaism and uh, anti-blackness, where there is this uh, perceived marginalization, hatred of of a people group, but at the same time a misuse of the history, the culture. Uh, the uh, the language uh, of of these people groups, uh, and so we see this happening all the time, right? And then this also this hyperinflation, uh, even when we we think about the anti-Semitism movement, this hyperinflation of Judaism uh, being radically opposed to any other group as well, while at the same time using the images uh, of of Jewish culture in defaming ways. We, we've always dealt with this, uh, but we've, we've seen a long history of this, I, I think, against the Jews uh, and tied into that. We see that against um, African-Americans, Blacks as well. Um, and so there's a lot of similarities in that space. But I think uh, there is such a strong history of anti-Semitism, even within the Christian space, that is very overt, um, but yet at the same time, uh, living in this dichotomy of understanding that our faith is an extension of Jewish life, uh, not, not a reformation of Jewish life, but an extension of Jewish life. Uh, and we're distorted in our theological lens when it comes towards those spaces. And so we fall in line uh, with much of what we see society doing in terms of appropriating um, Jewish culture overall. Yeah, in many ways, um, that instinct for appropriation and instinct of engagement there seems to be a, a means of trying to maintain control. Uh, and we see that as well um, in other instances of supersessionism, other instances of uh, cultural appropriation, uh, where because a majority culture doesn't necessarily understand something of another culture, but instead appropriates it so that they can import their own views on top of that. I'm thinking of the cornrow debates in the US about you know, what's the place of uh, children or adults being able to have cornrow hair. In many ways, the cultural appropriation is about control at that point. It's about control of who gets to say what it is about the culture that can, can and cannot be uh, engaged with. One of the ways I think this comes back into anti-Judaism as well is that um, Often uh, we see this this concept of uh, you know here are the things that we're appropriating from uh, Judaism. Here are the, the the celebration of different festivals, 
I I hear, hear the the things that that are being absorbed into Christianity, uh, but but for all the things that are being absorbed, all the things that are being uh, co opted and and appropriated, there's this core or um, of beliefs and structures which are left over that need to be rejected, and often this comes out in uh, we see there's a, there's a sense of Jesus is the the true radical. Um, so Jesus was liberative of women, whereas you know the Pharisees or uh, the, the the Sadducees or or Judaism. I'm using scare quotes here. Judaism as a whole uh, is uh, oppressive towards women, uh, for example. And so that that sort of pattern of argument plays out, be it about women, be it about disability, be it about Samaritans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it, the each of those areas is uh, quite fraught with danger and quite difficult to talk about because, uh, you know, 2000 years of history mean that we have a very different view on all of these topics than, uh, than first century culture in general uh, had. Uh, and yet the ability to be able to culturally appropriate these aspects and to, to say, well, Jesus is the true X or the true Y um, means that uh, it's an easy way out. It means that the discussion gets uh, siloed off into an area that uh, you don't have to think about it. Uh, the churches or the average Christian can say, "This is this is something which has been dealt with. I don't have to to, to delve into the the complexity of these issues." And I think this is one of the areas that it comes back to conversation that we had. Um, in terms of intersectionality and and that Daniel was just reminding us about of the the sheer complexity of these uh, aspects uh, and the impetus towards simplification uh, so that people uh, don't have to deal with them. Yeah. And speaking of that complexity, we've got a nice long series coming up here beginning next week with Matt Thiessen talking about ritual purity in the Gospels. Uh, and we'll be carrying on this series for for a, several weeks. We have a number of great guests coming. So we, we're really excited about it. And there's a lot more to delve into each week on these issues with uh, specific topics as as we go. And and so we're, we're really excited about it. And we're really excited for all of you, uh, dear listeners, to join us in this in this journey. And we hope that it is a benefit and a blessing to all of you. Oh, 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 oh,